0: And now, from the University of Colorado in Boulder, the College of Engineering and Applied Science presents Cue. Here's your host, Josh Roten.
1: Welcome to this edition of OnCue. My name is Josh Roten, and I'm a communication specialist with the college. Spring and summer in the Rockies and Great Plains often bring thunderstorms that can be as beautiful as they are violent. The largest and least common of these storms are known as supercells. These are the storms that can produce baseball-sized hail, heavy rain, and tornadoes, and get plenty of coverage on the nightly news and internet video sites. While these storms occupy a large part of our national consciousness thanks to pop culture and folklore, experts still don't know why some supercells produce tornadoes, and others don't. Engineers, scientists, and meteorologists are working together to answer that question, reducing false alarms and providing more warning time to those in the path of destruction. The latest project in that effort is Taurus, It's one of the largest and most ambitious drone-based investigations of meteorological phenomena ever, and it features researchers from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, Texas Tech University, the National Severe Storms Laboratory, and the University of Colorado Boulder through the College of Engineering and Applied Science. Researchers here joined the project from May through June this year, deploying on many storms that produce tornadoes and gathering valuable data from the air via their custom Raven drones. For this edition of OnQ, I sat down with aerospace professor Eric Frew after the team returned from fieldwork. We talked about the college's role in the project, misconceptions from the movie Twister, and how this research could potentially save lives in the future. Great, so tell me a little bit about the TORUS project. What does the acronym stand
0: for and what's your goals with it? So TORUS stands for Targeted Observations by Radars and UAS of Supercells. Uh, It's a large project sponsored by the National Science Foundation. It includes... University of Nebraska-Lincoln, Texas Tech University, University of Colorado-Boulder, University of Oklahoma, and the National Severe Storms Lab. Uh, All those universities and and the government labs are bringing sensors to study supercell thunderstorms, which are the storms that are known to create tornadoes. Uh, Our particular role in the project is to fly multiple unmanned aircraft, multiple drones in and around these storms. Can you tell me why it's important to study these supercell thunderstorms? What's the goal or long-term range of plans for you guys? So the the long-term goal or the long-term motivation of the project is to improve uh, the lead time in tornado warnings. So currently, tornado warnings are issued when specific things are seen in the radar, when the storm is actually about to produce a tornado, and uh, the general public gets about 15 minutes of lead time if a tornado is going to form during that warning. The severe storms community believes that with better understanding of the storms, we can push that out to an hour. So you can do a lot more to get safe if you have that extra 45 minutes of time. Before we can do that, we need to understand what leads to tornado formation better. And so, the goal of the project is still that fundamental scientific understanding of tor- tornado formation so that we can do better forecasting. And using drones is not new for CU Boulder. You guys have been using this kind of technology before to study the same sorts of questions, right? So, at CU Boulder, we've been developing drones and using them for atmospheric science and related earth science applications for probably two decades now. Um, but we are doing some novel things in this project. In particular, we're flying multiple aircraft at the same time in new regions of the storm. So without getting into a lot of the meteorology, supercell thunderstorms, which are the storms that produce most tornadoes, have some structure. And the meteorologists talk about things like the left flank and the right flank of the storms. Uh, In the past, we've flown in the right flank. It's the relatively calmer part of the storm, if there's such a thing. Whereas this time we're flying in the left flank, which is more into the heart of the storm. And so that's a much more challenging environment than we've done in the past. The other novelty is we're flying up to three aircraft at the same time. So in the years past, we flew one aircraft only, so we were really focused on that one team, whereas now we are coordinating multiple aircraft uh, in different parts of the storm to really gain a much broader perspective on what's happening. Can you put into context um, why you would want to use a fixed wing drone for this? What's the advantages of that? Mm -hmm. So, there's two parts to your question. The first is why a drone in the first place? And so, actually, in something like the 1970s, the severe storms community, uh, in something that was called Vortex One, I believe, flew piloted aircraft in and around these storms. And they got really, uh, they hit some very turbulent uh, air, and it was very uh, dangerous. And the community said, that is not something that's safe. We don't want to do that in the future and so unmanned aircraft or drones are really the only type of aircraft that you want to put into this environment. There are certain variables that you cannot measure without touching the storm. You know radar and remote sensing gives a lot of information but you don't know the temperature and the humidity in the air unless you're there. So that's why we want to fly an aircraft in the environment. Balloons don't go where you want them to so an unmanned aircraft is the answer. Now um, we fly what's called a fixed-wing unmanned aircraft. It looks like a conventional aircraft just smaller because it has the uh, endurance and the flight characteristics to really handle the type of conditions that we're flying in. Our aircraft can fly for about three hours in ideal conditions in the storms. We fly for about 90 minutes. Uh, a multi-rotor drone, which is maybe the more conventional picture, maybe can fly for 30 minutes in these types of conditions. The CU team is made up of faculty, staff, students. Can you tell me what the composition's like? And Yeah, so, so our team uh, has uh, several faculty like myself, uh, three staff engineers from the CU Grand Challenge IRIS initiative, and then the rest are students, either undergraduate students or graduate students. Um, several of our pilots who are actually you know, in command of our aircraft are in fact students that have been trained uh, here at CU to, to do this work, and a lot of the development, a lot of the support also comes from the students. Is it good hands-on experience for them? Oh, it's fantastic hands-on experience. I mean, one of the students said to me, this is the most fun I've ever had at CU.
1: Um, when I first heard about the project, I immediately thought of the movie Twister, but there 's probably a lot of um, misconceptions
0: or those kinds of ideas floating around. Can you talk about what maybe the biggest misconception is so we, we get that comparison a lot, and the biggest misconception is that we are not trying to fly into the tornado itself. The severe storm community has a pretty good understanding of what 's going on in the tornado. Our goal is to understand what leads to the formation of the tornado, so we 're trying to study the storm in a much broader way in fact. We should not be um, closer than two miles to where a tornado would form. It's about the air that leads into the storm what's happening to that and what becomes the tornado that we're studying. What's a normal day look like for you um, when you actually get going? The severe storm season in the U.S. in the Great Plains typically runs from about the beginning of May to mid-June. So we're on call during that entire time. If there aren't storms, um, in the near future, sometimes we 'll stay at home and wait till weather conditions develop so I will really describe what happens while we 're in the field itself and we 'll chase weather you know day to day as it goes um, A typical day will begin around ten a m we 'll have a weather briefing with the entire Taurus team um, that 's obviously led by the meteorologist the c u boulder team we 're the, the flight support team, so we don 't really uh, have a lot to contribute to those discussions, although the um, FAA limitations of where we can operate certainly play into those decisions. So that's about an hour. We discuss the, the weather conditions for the day. We discuss where we think we need to be, and we also look ahead to the next day. So in the meteorology world, today is called day one, Tomorrow's called day two. So at the end of the day today, no matter what we do, we need to start positioning ourselves for what we're going to do tomorrow as well. Um, once the briefing is over, um, we typically have anywhere from two to six hours of driving to get in position. Um, we're very nimble as an armada, you, you go where the weather takes you, you don't just sit there and wait for it. So we'll leave 11, 12 o'clock, we'll drive till four, five, six, seven o'clock sometimes. These types of storms that we're interested in studying Sometimes we'll not form until seven p.m. Right, so it's, it's a lot of hurry up and wait, right? We call it hurry up and wait because you really want to position yourselves, and then you see what the weather is doing, and then you wait until you have a good sense, and then you rush to the next stop. Yeah. Is there times where it's wait five minutes? Is there time where it's wait five hours? You don't know. Usually, I'd say it's wait an hour. Uh, if you're waiting five minutes, that's usually just to swap a piece of equipment or for the team to catch up. What is it like um, when you're out there trying to deploy it? a drone and the tornadoes forming and what's that excitement like? So as we prepared for this mission we had a discussion with our meteorologists, and they kind of laid out for us the main risk factors to be involved in. And In fact the tornado is not even in the top three. Um, so when we're thinking about being out there the thing we worry about the most are other drivers. So in these storms you get a lot of tornado chasers and so they call it chaser convergence and that's the number one thing we look out for. Uh, the next two hazards are uh, lightning and then hail and then the last one is the tornado. So when we're getting ready to deploy, the first thing we're worrying about is the other cars and the other drivers and making sure we find a safe spot kind of off the road. Then it's mostly the lightning that you kind of worry about. And, and I'd say only once uh, when we were deploying did I feel like there was lightning even nearby. I mean, it's not uh, a major hazard, but it's the thing that I'm watching out for as we're getting set up. Uh, otherwise, we're with professional meteorologists. They know these storms. We're always on the outside, on the edges. We're not in heavy precipitation. So there's some adrenaline because we're about to go, but uh, we're always safe. And so, and we've been doing this for a long time that, you know, we're, we're professional about it. And so we know what our roles are and we just move forward and we get in the air and we continue with the mission. Tell me about chaser convergence and having so many people there. Has that ever prevented you guys from deploying? Chaser convergence, I think, is the term that the meteorologist used to, to indicate that the roads can become clogged with um, you know, storm chasers. Um, we've seen this happen a couple times uh, this past year in our deployment. Uh, it just traffic backs up. Um, it's also dangerous because most of the people in that traffic are trying to see the storms, take pictures. They quickly pull off to the side of the road. Uh, so it is something that slows us down. We we were not prohibited from our operations because of that phenomenon. It's just something that slowed down our ability to operate and something we had to pay extra attention to. So this project will continue for another
1: year, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure the work will continue in different ways. Uh, What are the questions that
0: you're still looking at as you look back at this year's deployment? So, you know, our team, since it's deploying the drones, um, our big questions are how efficient were we with our operations? What can we do to improve how things worked? Can we be quicker? Can we be more reliable? Uh, Can we have better quality data? So those are all the things that we'll go back and refine between now and next, next season, um, in terms of you know scientific questions, what have we answered or are we trying to answer? that's difficult to say. You know we want to get a lot of data before we really look at it and try to make some conclusions. So it's really preliminary to say we've learned something new or we've not learned something new or even that there's a new hypothesis that's come out of this because you know good science requires good amounts of data, and we don't we, we schedule two years because that's what we think it takes to have a really strong data set. Well, and the data set is an interesting aspect, too, because you were telling me that you don't necessarily want to get all tornadoes all the time. Yeah, so the, you know, the, the scientific question is, what conditions in these supercell thunderstorms lead to tornadoes? And so maybe backing up a step, um, I'm making up the numbers, but the round averages are about the same. Um, something like 95-ish percent of all tornadoes come from a supercell thunderstorm, a very specific type of storm but only single digit percentages of supercells create tornadoes. So there's still a lot that's not known about the formation process. And so you know, in order to understand what about this storm is leading to a tornado, you need to have a lot of data where that does happen and a lot of data where that doesn't happen so you can see what's different. So that's why ideally you know, half of our data will be storms that produce tornadoes, half of our data will be storms that don't, so we can kind of compare and contrast between those two sets of data. When you're working on a project this large and collaborating with other
1: universities, is there any other um, trickiness, uh, collaboration problems that you encounter?
0: We, you know, so our team here at CU Boulder has been working with some of these severe storm scientists for two decades. So we've really developed a a relationship and we understand each other's equipment. we We understand how the deployments work. Something that's really neat about this large of a project is I think of it as a federation or like each team sort of knows the big picture knows how they operate there's a a leader on a day-to-day basis who identifies which storm we're going to operate on and then we all know how to do our things separately Um, with this type of a a storm we've introduced something called the pivot instrument which is that one instrument that everyone's going to use to coordinate their activities off of Uh, because the unmanned aircraft because the drones are the novelty and the new science is going to come from them that left flank mission that i mentioned earlier is the pivot instrument so the chief meteorologist and the lead investigator for this entire project is the one that's directing that aircraft, and he's letting the entire team know the plan, the schedule, the timing of when that aircraft is going to be in the air. And every other sensor is positioning in itself in its own way, knowing when that aircraft is going to fly. And so that's sort of, we think of this as a loose coordination. You know, we're not all on the phone or on the radio on the minute-to-minute basis, but everybody knows that that aircraft is planning to take off in 30 minutes, so you need to be in position in 15, So you're capturing the volume of of air where it will be operating. Um, And so that's how we stay coordinated. Again, these groups have been working together for decades, so we understand each other's limitations, how we have to operate, and so it's been a very um, easy collaboration with this team. Can you broadly just say what the other tools that are being used are in the team? I know there's an airplane. Yeah, um, so uh, I mentioned before various different institutions that are participating, and they sort of bring their own different uh, pieces of equipment i'll start with the university of nebraska lincoln they are the lead university adam houston uh, from unl is the lead meteorologist for this project Uh, they also have um, what are called mobile mesonet vehicles these are ground vehicles ford explorers with um, uh, weather measuring equipment sort of on a pole coming up from their roof so they get what we call surface observations they're figuring out what's the pressure temperature humidity wind on the ground the exact same things the drones are measuring and so Then we have the CU Boulder team. We're flying drones in this storm. We coordinate very closely with the UNL team. In fact, pretty much there is one of the UNL's mesonets underneath the drone where it's flying. So we have two measurements in the environment to kind of compare the surface and the the sky. Texas Tech has what's called a KA band radar. In fact, they have two radars. So they do what's called dual Doppler measurements. So with two radar, you can actually resolve three-dimensional structure of the winds that are in the storm. You also get um, what's called reflectivity, which tells you something about the strength of the precipitation, if there's rain, if there's hail in the environment. Um, We then have uh, uh, colleagues at the University of Oklahoma and the National Severe Storms Lab. They have additional mobile mesonets. They release balloon soundings sort of well back from the storm to to understand the kind of precursor conditions to these storms. That's also very helpful for understanding. Uh, And then the last piece of equipment is something that uh, the National Severe Storms Lab brings. This is the P-3 Orion Hurricane Hunter aircraft. So This is a piloted aircraft, it's the Hurricane Hunters, the same aircraft that go into hurricanes to study them. They are flying on these storms with us. They have radar, so they aren't flying in the heart of the storm like the drone is, but they're able to, again, get this picture from above the storm of what's going on. All that data together is needed to understand what's happening, not just any one of those. Can you see a world where there's more equipment being involved for
1: CU particularly? So more drones, or is there another aspect that you would like to include in this in 15 years when something else happens? Or?
0: That's a great question, and maybe there's two parts to it. Um, you know, I'm an aerospace engineer, so for me, it's the drones. Um, my vision is that while these drones are flying, they're actually talking to the weather models, and they're using the model to make decisions in real time on where to go to best understand the storm. You know, imagine the drone. Has sort of in its mind a forecast. It has two forecasts and it knows that if I get cold here the forecast that says tornado is more likely. If I get hot here the one that says no tornado is most likely. So that's my vision for where this idea can take us. Um, That'd be really cool. It would, I think it would be very exciting to sort of this airborne scientist concept. Um, right now the Taurus the project is a unique deployment. Um, all these assets don't exist in every town in the Great Plains. So the other Sort of aspect of your question is we could see in the future uh the drone technology advancing to the point where small towns individuals have drones that they could release into these environments or into the precursor environments to help feed into the weather system much like um you know citizen science works now with weather stations on your your roof or your house or whatnot so i think there could be a time in the future where um, you know local meteorologists local first responders local public safety officers also have related technologies that provide just a little bit of additional insight to their local towns to, to help provide some additional safety. Great. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. It's an interesting project for sure. My pleasure. This has been On Cue. For more information, visit colorado.edu engineering.